Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. I'm so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show, Thank You for Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it, and it is now one of the longest running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming out stories, and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And I'm so excited about my guest here with me today, originally from a small town in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania, Anita Kelly, they, them, now lives in the Pacific Northwest with their family. A teen librarian by day, they write romance that celebrates queer love and all its infinite possibilities. Whenever not, read- whenever not reading or writing, they're drinking too much tea, taking pictures, and dreaming of their next walk in the woods. They hope you get to pet a dog today. What a beautiful hope. Hi, Anita. <laughs> Hi, Dubs. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh. I'm so honored that you are here. I cannot wait to talk to you about all the things. How how are you doing? How's your day going? It's going pretty swell. I got to leave work a little bit early to come home and record this podcast. So all things considered, it's a good day. (laughs) I love that. And your boss was like, yeah, go record that podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I, I think I said I had an appointment and I left. Great. I mean, <laughs> I this don't is know all the details of my Anita Kelly life. <laughs> That's perfect. And if they're listening now, you know, the details. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, actually, before I invite you to share coming out, coming in, I would, I actually, uh, nah, I'll wait. I was going to ask about telling me about being a librarian, but I'll, we'll get there. Um, yeah. So, okay. So we all have multiple coming out stories. We all have multiple coming into ourselves stories. And so I invite you to share one of your stories with us. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. I'll share my, um, you know, coming into my general queerness story, which, uh, the more I look back on it, the funnier it is to me. Um, but I grew up in a very small town in the nineties where it was pretty much impossible to be out. Um, I mean, like no one that I knew in my high school class was out, even looking back, like the most flamboyantly, obviously gay people had to like pretend they were straight Mm. and like looking back, I can't even remember if I knew many straight people, um, there, we lived in this resort town. There was like a big lake resort where my whole family worked. And during the summers, they'd put on like shows. It was very dirty dancing. Mm. And so, um, and it was outside of New York city. And so every now and then there'd be performers for the show that came in from New York city that were, um, that were out and gay, but that was like, oh, well, they're actors from the city. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> it was very like, you know, watching Will and Grace, like that was my level of knowing gay people. Um, but yeah, so I feel like it just never even occurred to me as like a possibility that I could be queer. I know that's like the definition of being repressed, but it really never even occurred to me. I didn't date anybody um, in high school until I got to college and I met my now wife, um, who I 
originally actually had a crush on her male roommate, (laughs) but that didn't work out. And I started spending lots of time with her. And it was (laughs) one of those things where like, we were spending all of our time together, like holding hands. Like I just wanted to be her best friend so badly. And, but like, I I was still clueless. Like, (laughs) and my poor wife looking back, like, I was that poor or like she was that poor person dealing with a supposedly straight person giving lots of mixed signals. Mm. Um, But, uh, but yeah, so it wasn't until we were like eventually um, like making out that I was like, Oh, okay. But then then, like once that happened, it was just like a flip switch. And I was like, okay, cool. This is who I am. And, um, and she always laughs because I told everybody like immediately Mm. Like after we were like, okay, like we're going to be together. Like I called my parents and I was like, Hey, you know, Kathy, we're dating. <laughs> and, um, and she's like, I didn't even tell my own parents yet. Or like, mm. she, I think she was expecting me to have like some kind of like, you know, gay crisis, but it just like suddenly made sense to me. And I was like, okay. And then, yeah. And then I married her. So <laughs> wow. that is my coming out story, I suppose. I love that. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> I um, I relate so much to the idea of like, well, I'm going to tell everybody now <laughs> because yeah. I, you know when I, I when I came out at 20 as gay in is like the early 2000s, I you know I didn't tell everyone immediately. It was like very slow process. But when I came out as gender queer about a decade later. I was like, I'm telling everyone immediately. I am not keeping the shit in. I know what it feels like to repress that. And I'm not doing that again. (laughs) Yeah. I was just like, this feels right. And I'm happy. And I'm going to tell everybody about it. (laughs) That's cool. That's so cool. Um, I, you know, I, so I grew up um, in a small town in Columbus, Ohio, and there were, I don't think there were any out people. There was maybe one or two out like boys. There were no um out women there were absolute there was no gender diversity like people who were out as anything other than man or woman girl or boy um and so I think so when you so I guess I'm I'm trying to get to when you say it wasn't even a possibility for you does that mean you thought like you knew I guess you didn't already know it was a a switch that flipped for you later okay so I was was completely (laughs) clueless Yeah, all all I knew was that um, homophobia made me really, really, really mad. Yeah, yeah. I think that was maybe my one clue, um, like madder than other things did. Um, Like, I'll never forget. um, There was a boy who I grew up like being friends with, I used to walk over to his house and play video games after school, in elementary school. But I remember one day in high school, he said, and I, and I don't really remember, I have a bad memory. I don't remember a lot of things <laughs> about my childhood, but I remember we were sitting in science class and I don't even know how this conversation started, but he said that Freddie Mercury died because he was our British, a British cigarette. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was like, and I still remember that so clearly. And so like, that was kind of the environment that I grew up in. Um, and so sometimes I do wonder if I yeah, grew up in a different time or place if I would have realized earlier, but yeah, I didn't. Looking back, you know, besides how homophobia made you more mad than other kinds of like oppression or bigotry, mm-hmm. um, 
looking back now, are there like, oh yeah, like I really like had a crush on my best friend or I like had a picture of Britney Spears on my wall, you know, like something that you're like, oh, well that checks out. (laughs) Well, one kind of funny thing is that when I was in, um, I mean, I don't know if I, if I really did have like a big, uh, like a secret crush on anybody or things like that. But, um, when I was a kid, I was a huge, huge Hanson fan mm. of Umbop fame. Oops. Um, I'm some of my closest friends are still my like old Hanson friends and a surprising number of us have turned out to be queer. <laughs> mm. Like shockingly that we really loved, um, these boys who presented very feminine <laughs> yeah, and, um, And I think it was this kind of like queer coding that I didn't quite understand back then, but looking, but looking back now, um, yeah, it's just funny, like the number of queer friends I've made who also loved Hanson in our youth. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's very disappointing because Hanson has turned out to be like awful, awful, like Trumpers who are probably very homophobic, but little do they know that they sparked a queer revolution in lots of, uh, lots of young people. Oh my God. I, first of all, did not know that they're Trumpers. Yeah. 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 It's bad. (laughs) Like some, some things have come out like from their, like their private social media and stuff. And yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's sad when when our, you know, hero, I think like Brian Luttrell, maybe from the Backstreet Boys is also like pro-Trump. I feel like there's like one Backstreet Boy that's like very pro-Trump. I think it's Brian Luttrell. Disappointing. It is. Um, I want to, I want to talk to you about this, like this thing you said, which is straight person giving lots of mixed signals. And, and, you know, I guess I also want to, I guess I'm going to tie it into your book. So, so, Mm -hmm. so I'm going to pause, I'm going to put a pin in that question and let's talk about love and other disasters. And I'm showing you the book, you know what it looks like, but, and this is a podcast (laughs) so no one can see it, but um, I want to firstly, first say, thank you. Thank you for writing this book. Um, My friend, Rachel, uh, I, I just, I recently left my job to pursue my dreams and she knew that I would love this book. She hadn't even read it. She just read the description was like, you're going to love it. And so, and she was right. <laughs> um, so thank you, Rachel, but thank you to you because, so as I've been reading this book, there's a, a non-binary main character in this queer rom-com book. And I, I've never read or consumed media before where I felt so seen and felt myself reflected back to me in, in all of the ways. And to the point where I texted my friend Caroline and said, like, is this what it feels like to consume media that's made for you? Like, I had no idea that that's what it felt like until I had it. And I just got it in like February of this year. <laughs> so yeah. it, it's so important. This book is so important. And I just want to say thank you. Well, thank you. That means a lot. Thank you for reading it. I'm really grateful that it, that it hit right with you. Yeah. So I'm, so if you, if you don't mind sharing maybe a, a very brief synopsis of, of the book and also what inspired you to write the book. Um, so our listeners can have a sense of what I'm, what I'm even talking about. 
Yeah, yeah. So if you haven't heard of um, Love and Other Disasters, it is a queer rom-com that takes place on a cooking competition show, like a la Master Chef. Um, and it is between uh, Dahlia, this kind of mess of a queer woman um, who's just been, re- she's young, she's in her early 20s, but she's gotten married and then divorced young. So she's recently divorced and not happy in her job and yeah, kind of struggling to find her place. Um, and she meets London on the show who is um, yeah, a non-binary person who does have their life more together. They got on the show kind of as like a dare from their twin sister. Um, so they're kind of there just uh, for fun, but they're also very competitive. So they want to win too. Um, but Dahlia really needs the money to get her, the, the prize money of the show to get her life back together. Um, so yeah, the story is really just a love story between these two contestants on the show um, as they progress through each episode, uh, but only one can win. Done, done, done. Everyone go buy this book. <laughs> who's gonna who's gonna win? What's gonna happen? Yes. Oh yeah, so that's the synopsis. But you, so you asked me um what inspired me to yeah. write it. Mm-hmm. Um so the I mean the I the idea of writing a cooking competition show wasn't very deep. I'd written a couple books before this and I'm very character driven like I'm very interested in characters emotions and lives but I'm not as good at plot so like the book I wrote just before this one was just two people kind of having a lot of feelings and not a lot of things happening (laughs) and I'm like I guess I do need some like external stakes and so (laughs) I was watching uh yeah MasterChef one night and I'm like well this is this would be a fun setup. Like there's already stakes of, you know, the competition and it sets up a nice timeline to tell the story by. Um, And then the next day I was chopping onions in my kitchen. And I just kind of thought of the first line of this book, which has to do about chopping onions. And uh, Dahlia kind of came into my mind then. Uh, And then London came after, but I'd been interested in writing a non-binary character for a while. And I think the reason for that is kind of a whole combination of things. Uh, I work at, in schools, um, like I said, I'm a teen librarian. And so at my schools, I also advise um, GSA groups. So gay straight alliance groups. And really a lot of my writing is, is inspired by the kids I work with. And it's been really interesting you know, working with these groups for the last almost decade to see the transition over the years of kids' interest in talking about sexuality versus gender. Um, I'd say these days, like 95% of the things they want to talk about is Mm -hmm. gender-based and uh, being trans and non-binary and, um, you know, gender norms and gender roles. Uh, My wife is also very... uh, gender non-conforming um and I've kind of watched her transitions over the years of you know uh you know coming more into what makes her comfortable and yeah and then I think as I was writing this book it became kind of like a like a gender exploration for me as well mm-hmm. um I was very nervous writing and publishing this book because there is a lot of you know like criticism online for 
you know, people kind of writing stories that aren't their own um, and who has, you know, the right to tell which stories and, and London's story is still not my story. Um, And so I felt nervous about being able to tell their story accurately. Um, And I was actually worried that I would get a lot of pushback, but I, but I haven't, the feedback from London has only been overwhelmingly positive, uh, which has been wonderful and I think just shows yeah how hungry people are for gender expansive and non-binary characters and stories out there so I'm very grateful for that yeah I have I have um it doesn't surprise me a it doesn't surprise me kind of the shift in what people want to talk about over the years um I the job that I left was an educator working with Jewish institutions on LGBTQ inclusion. And so even in that five years, in that five years, I saw the, 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 sh- the shift of, you know, quote unquote, we get the gay thing end quote. Yeah. Well, I guess that's what quote unquote is, but, um, but let's talk about gender now. Um, people, you know, it's, it's a lot more, I feel like it can be more nuanced gender versus sexuality, but then when you mix them together, the nuance comes back for, but also sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the, um, like the vibe from the kids these days is like, everybody's gay. Who cares? <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like, like we're all gay. It's fine. But, um, yeah. And there's not as much like crisis there. I mean, there is still, um, you know, I still do work with many teens that have to be closeted to their parents and, yeah. um, and yeah, like their home life is not, great in terms of either sexuality or gender but in terms of like their social groups and their friends like yeah there is not a lot of barriers about being gay or being queer but uh but yeah but their gender struggles seem to be much more difficult for lots of people to understand whether it's their parents or their teachers or their classmates and and I'm sure they see you know on tv politicians and people across the country you know, tearing down who they are. So yeah, yeah, it's just a lot more present these days. Mm-hmm, for sure. It's interesting that you, you bring up this idea of like, who has the right to tell what stories? Um, and I think about this a lot. I see a lot of discourse on my social media around Broadway specifically, uh, who's playing what roles or, in, you know, on, on Netflix yeah. shows or all those things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, it's hard. I think it's, and a lot of the, the, a lot, what I've noticed is a lot of the, like the more heated pushback is coming from within the house. Like, it's like, yes, it is trans people. It is non-binary people. It is, you know, it's queer people, but they're, but the, what I've seen is like, people are doing it in a way that's not helping push a conversation forward. It's not getting to trying to find understanding or maybe they're can be some value in sharing a story that's not yours mm-hmm. nuance and so yeah. I like that you said specifically like there was some exploration for you in writing this character even though that's not your identity or not your sorry not you aren't as closely related to London as you know other so somebody else could have written I guess yes. I don't remember the exact words but I hope that's the right sentiment yes Yes. yes. Like, like for, so for instance, like, you know, London is pretty traditionally trans mask and I am probably always going to present more femme. And so, um, yeah. And so like, I haven't had the same struggles as them as like, 
you know, wearing a binder or, you know, like just presenting different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, but, but one thing um, I will say that I did in the course of writing this book is um, I got what's called sensitivity reads, uh, which are more and more common in publishing where, um, yeah, you can get kind of like an expert read from someone of the identity that you're writing about. Um, and they're really good. Like, even if you yourself share the identity, they're really good to get because not, you know, one person is just one person. Right. Um, and so, um, I, one of my mentors on this book is Meryl Wilsner, who, who is another non-binary writer. Um, so they read it and then and gave me some really interesting feedback. And then I hired another non-binary person to read it as well. Um, so I had like a little bit more like confidence going into it, mm-hmm. but then, but then in the, in the publishing process, like when we were trying to basically shop it around to editors to get it published, um, there was a big question of, do you want to call this book quote unquote own voices, which is kind of a publishing term um, that you can put on your work that says, you know, I am writing about my own identity in this book. It's my own voice. Um, and my agent and eventually my editor asked me if I wanted to use that label for this book. Um, and my, my poor editor, when she asked me this question, I sent back like an essay of an email. <laughs> like, Here are my feelings about this. And she basically emailed back being like, so why don't we not for now? <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> but there was, there was one editor uh, before I signed with my current editor um, that did pass because it wasn't labeled own voices. Mm. And she was like, I've, we've never published a non-binary story before. We don't feel comfortable doing that unless it's labeled own voices. Mm. And part of me like respected that. And then part of me felt just like really awful about it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Because it's like, oh, I didn't like prove my identity enough or um, my identity wasn't good enough or something to, you know, for you to take on this book. So it's it's very complicated, but it's all turned out. It's all turned out great. But my neuroses in the publishing process of this book were (laughs) were many. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think, too, like even when we think about what is a trans man? What is a trans woman? Like what is non-binary? Like there's mm-hmm. infinite ways to be and to live in an identity. And I, I just, I think for a lot of people, and I'm even going to go out on a limb and say for the majority of people, um, the nuance gets lost and also the, the like expansiveness of what an identity can be gets lost. And so even if you were to have said, this is, yes, this is my own voice, you know, there could have been pushback of like, well, which, like, which character, you know, like prove it, like, or you're not enough X, Y, Z. And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, it's not about enoughness or proving it. It's about trusting, like, I'm telling you, this is my own voice, even if it's not the exact like overlay of what my voice is to this character yeah and and I find that label particularly tricky because there are so many identities within a single book and within a single story Mm -hmm. and so when you say it's own voices like what is that identity or like what is that even saying like which identity 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 do you (laughs) identify with hard words yeah Um, because based on my email to my editor was like, well, if we are saying own voices for general queerness, like, yes, 
Like I am always happy to wear that mantle. Um, but like when it comes to gender, like I'm still figuring shit out myself and I, I don't know if I want to be like, like, I don't know, like speak the non-binary and trans community yet, because I don't know if I feel comfortable with that yet. Yeah. Um, and so it was like, which identities do I feel comfortable being a speaker for? And it's been a journey. For sure. And I just think that it's so, it's so cool. Other people I've interviewed talk about just getting the opportunity to um, use art, whether that's writing or performing or whatever, singing to explore their identity. And like, what a cool space to be able to, you know, expand your knowledge of yourself through art. And then it just, I mean, I'm going to say like, it sucks that someone's like, that's not your identity or you can't do that. Or, and on the other side or on the, maybe not other side is it the wrong way. Another thing to think about is like, but like we should be hearing from authentic voices. So it's like, but I don't think it's, I also don't think it's, I think it's context-based. I don't think it can be like a blanket rule of mm-hmm. like, you can't do X, Y, Z if you are X, you know, if you're not X, Y, Z. Cause, because then I feel like that's the part, the point of art is to explore. <laughs> and so if we don't have that space, then it makes it really challenging. Yeah, there is a lot of nuance that, gets lost in these conversations sometimes yeah because a lot of times there are bad faith actors that um yeah that are writing things they should not be writing um but yeah but to say kind of you know blanket you shouldn't write anything except for who you are like I I really like writing um books across like the LGBTQ spectrum like writing different kinds of romantic pairings and different stories because I I like the idea of um exploring general queer love in all it's infinite possibilities like I say in my bio Mm -hmm. Um, because like if I just wrote the story of like me and my wife over and over like our relationship that would get really boring to me (laughs) and so um yeah I like exploring different possibilities within the queer world but not everybody feels the same way yeah and I think too and I think too there's also like I guess I'm I'm trying to figure out how to say this mm-hmm. um like different stakes or different outcomes depending on what the thing is like I'm thinking about Broadway putting on Mrs. Doubtfire is like not good <laughs> because there's already so much mis mis misinformation disinformation about trans women and how cis people are you know cis men are just masquerading as women to assault women um so to see a cis man play a woman it's 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 messing with the 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 uh image of trans women even though mrs doubtfire is not necessarily a trans woman do you know what i'm saying do you know what i mean like the stakes in that particular situation are different than you writing about a non-binary person that may not, you know, is not the like tracing etching of your identity. Like the stakes yeah. are different, but people like to apply the same kind of like guidelines on all the different scenarios. Yeah. Is, is what I'm trying to say. Yes, for sure. Oof. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, I, I pulled some quotes, both from the book and some, from some other interviews that I love to, to chat with you about. Um, one is 
romance is a world of escapism, but I think that makes it such a popular and powerful genre genre that it's a hopeful escape. So this is a, this is a you quote. Um, what makes? <laughs> I feel like I'm saying this. I can't remember when. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, can you? I'm just curious. Like, what's your take on hopeful escape? Um. So I, I'll say I only got into romance as a literary genre a few years ago. Um, I was kind of, uh, like many people, like a bit of a literary snob towards it beforehand. Um, but once I started reading romance, like I was hooked immediately. And especially queer romance, I think, is really uh, important and just wonderful. And I think why romance in particular is a hopeful genre is because the only requirement to be a romance book, um, which means not like a book that has romantic elements, but like genre romance, you're going to be in the romance section of Barnes and Noble. The only requirement for that is to have a happily ever after, um, which some people dispute, but like people within the romance community are like, no, that is the only thing we want is a happily ever after. And so, um, And so I think that for queer stories, especially, you know, for so long, queer stories have been like wrapped up in tragedy and, you know, like kill your gaze or whatever. And so even if you have a queer story that has trauma in it, um, in a romance, it always ends with happily ever after. And so I think that can be... uh, actually kind of revolutionary um mm-hmm. in terms of like you know queer me- media as a whole in history and so you know I did struggle with this book in terms of uh, if you haven't read the book uh London you know for the most part is you know very confident in who they are it's not a coming out story they already know who they are at the beginning of this book um and they don't have you know they have for the most part an accepting community but they do meet one you know pretty transphobic contestant on the show and their dad has never used their correct pronouns um and so there's kind of like a conflict there and so I didn't want to you know capitalize on that kind of trauma Mm storyline I really wanted it just to be a romance (laughs) with kissing and happy happily ever after and so I wanted to make sure I had that um that balance in there but I think even if you have queer you know stories that do dig into you know the trauma and history of queer people um it will have a happily ever after as a romance if it's considered a romance book and so I think that is like just great catharsis for queer people in general yeah I love that first of all I didn't know that that was the requirement for romance um, so now I know. And second, <laughs> yeah, and people will, will argue with with um with you about it, but people like within the romance community are very yeah, like hardline about it. So like Nicholas Sparks is not a romance writer in romance, mm. um, in like you know, in romance community guidelines because he always kills off everybody. Yeah, everybody. So like, yeah, like if one of the main people in the couple dies, like that is not a romance. <laughs> and, and people who go into romance, like just wanting to read romance novels, like they really feel betrayed when, um, when there's not a happily ever after or somebody dies or things like that, because we go into these books knowing what we want, 
like purposely. <laughs> and what we want is a happy ending because the world is shit. And we want to read a book where there's a happy ending. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. much the purpose, pretty much the purpose of yeah, the romance genre is to have that hope of things ending well and people being in love. Yeah. I um I I call myself a hopeful romantic, not a hopeless romantic. Cause I'm just like <laughs> I have so much hope. Like I, you know, I'm, I am not dating anyone right now, but I'm just like waiting and ready. Uh, and I don't want to be hopeless about it. I want to be hopeful about it. And I love that. Um, uh, the book, have you, um, I'm looking at my bookshelf now, you know, you said Meryl, Meryl Wilsner's name. And I was like, what, why do I know that name? Something to talk about. It's so good. Yes. <laughs> like, it's such a good book. Um, but I read the book. Have you heard of um, a book called Meet Cute Diary by Emery Lee? Yes. You know, I know of that book. I have it in my library at school, um, but I actually have not read it mm. yet. Well, I, I know. And, and I follow Emery online and stuff, but I haven't read um, his book. <laughs> yeah, uh, I highly recommend. But when I interviewed Em for, uh, for my podcast, and one of the thing, one of the quotes was... Um, that Emery gave was, uh, oh God, now I forget what it is. But essentially, the 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 gist of it is, um, why people love romance, like rom com books and romance novels, is because it's a, a like versus, let's say, like science fiction or other kinds of genres, is because this is a ta- because romance is attainable magic, mm-hmm. and I love that idea of. Like, you know, like, cause flying through the air or time travel is nice to read about, but mm-hmm. you can, you can never really actually have it, but romance and love that's attainable magic. And I, I love yeah. that. Yes. I love that quote too. Good job, Emery. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I actually do. Um, now that romance is kind of my world, I actually do get angry when I read romance books that depict relationships that I think are toxic or unhealthy because I do think that romance novels, I mean, it sounds kind of cheesy, but they can be um, like a blueprint for how we should treat each other Mm. and how I, and I think, um, you know, I have lots of friends who were like romance novels kind of helped me discover, you know, like my own like sexuality and like be empowered um, for my sexuality um, and, you know, kind of taught me how a good partner should treat you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that should be like, you know, what a good romance novel is, is learning how to, you know, love each other with kindness and respect. And so, um, yeah, when I see books that don't do that, I'm like, no, <laughs> we're supposed to be setting an example of like what love truly can be. And I don't think there's anything cheesy or bad about that. So be nice to each other in your books. <laughs> but because yeah. um, it should be attainable magic. It should be like, yes, we all deserve this happily ever after that I just read about. Because we do. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's so, you know, you you mentioned this earlier. And I think about this too all the time of like, um representation and like how you just like you didn't even know because no one was out around you um and and so I agree like the media we consume is a blueprint it is a way for us Mm -hmm. to see ourselves reflected or to uh see possibility 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't just thinking back, like it's interesting. Now that I'm a librarian, I can't remember all I did growing up was read I was a nerd, but I can't remember ever reading like a queer romance for teens, you know, like I, I feel like I know that some existed back then, but they weren't in my school library or I don't remember finding them. Um, yeah, I don't think I really read queer YA until, you know, I was already an adult, which is still a good catharsis to read as an adult, but yeah. I, and I, so I wonder if there was more media like that when I was young, if again, it would have clued in myself to myself I still do, I still feel like I probably would have been pretty dumb but but maybe who knows who knows <laughs> um but I mean even even in your in your book there were so many like blueprint moments we'll call them now of like things that I've already experienced so not necessarily a blueprint for me but like but seeing and seeing myself reflected and then, and knowing very, very deeply. Um, I even, I even took a note while I was reading it and I, it, like, I feel viscerally understood and exposed, but in a good way of like, someone gets it. And like, it's hard for people to get it. And when you see that reflected back to you, when you've never had that reflected back to you is life-changing and it, and it can be, you know, for people like a blueprint of like, Oh, like I'm not the only one feeling this way or I'm not, I thought one of the notes I took was like, just when you like, when, when Dahlia and London are about to be intimate for the first time together, just like what's going through everyone's head. And it's like, I remember going, having those literal exact thoughts when when it was like, when it was my time. And so Mm -hmm. it's just, you know, it's so nice to know. I mean, and for me now, even though I, now I'm and now I'm rambling, but it's like it feels so 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 nice and affirming to to have that experience reflected back. And it's like, okay, so I wasn't just feeling this way, and I'm alone. It's like, no, this is a universal thing that yeah, you know, it can help release shame and release embarrassment and and a feeling of isolation. Yeah, yeah. I recently um, have read within the space of like a month. Um, two other trans and non-binary romances um one's written by a friend who it's not published yet but mm. I know it's going to I know it's going to be published soon um it's uh like it's a gay romance it's a baseball romance um and one of the characters is like the first you know out trans professional baseball player uh oh I can't wait in, and he falls in love with, with another baseball player um and it's so fantastic it's written uh. by a trans man um and uh yeah it's also just very like open and honest about um yeah like the sex scenes and just everything you know like it shows the character yeah like you know shooting tea before you know once a week and um and it was it was just really wonderful and then I also read uh chef's kiss which is a very similar to book book to mine but also very different which I love uh but it's also kind of a foodie romance that has a non-binary love interest and in that book there's a scene where um the non-binary character gets top surgery Mm. and uh and the other character kind of like helps take care of them you know, Mm -hmm. post-surgery, like, you know, helps, you know, um, like rinse out their drains and like, uh, gives them their medicine. And, and so 
it was just, there was just something about reading two trans romances in a row that like filled a hole that I didn't know I had. I was like, I didn't know that I wanted to read like, cause like sick bed scenes are kind of a trope in romance. So we're like one takes care of the other. And so I'm like, I didn't know that I wanted to read like a top surgery recovery sick bed scene, mm. but now I've read one and it's amazing. And so, yeah, I'm just really hoping that like trans romance is the next wave and within a few years there will there will be so many options for people to to have because it's yeah it's wonderful and affirming um yeah and fills a hole out there that a lot of people need so oh I can't wait I didn't I didn't know about Chad I keep when you see me looking over I'm just looking at my bookshelf of like do I know that book? Um, but I, I don't, I don't know Chef's Kiss. So I'm gonna have to look into that and I'll be on the lookout for yeah. this other baseball book. But I, I think, yeah. you know, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna, so Chef's Kiss actually just came out this week. Um, oh. And I did like a launch event with TJ, the author for it. Um, and so I was talking with TJ about it. And I feel like it's just a really great example. Because when I first heard about their book, um, I had, it was before, because both of our books were kind of announced at the same time. And so I had this like panic moment of like, oh my God, somebody else wrote my book. Because <laughs> mm. it's about, um, yeah, like two chefs and they meet at work and blah, blah, blah. Um, but then, but then when I read it, you know, there were a lot of similarities, but it was also so different. Mm-hmm. Like the characters were entirely different. It was an entirely different set up in general um you know it's very different writing style and so it really just confirmed to me like no actually it's awesome that you know there are two foodie non-binary romances out there now like and that you, know, you, you can really never have enough um yeah and so at first it was just kind of my own insecurity of being like oh no everyone's going to read this book instead of my book but no actually everyone who will read my book will also want to read TJ's. And so like, and vice versa and vice versa. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, you can never have enough cake. That's kind of a, (laughs) a that there's, you get worried that someone else's cake is better than your cake, but really everybody loves cake. So there can never be enough. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, there are different flavors of cake and even my, even my funfetti cake is going to taste different than your funfetti cake. Yeah, mine's gonna be burnt because I don't know how to bake, even though it's yeah. pre, you know, pre-made <laughs> mix. Um, yeah, that's what I don't understand. And by I don't understand, I mean I actually very much understand, but it, I don't like it when it's like, oh, we already have a this, like we already published a trans book this year, so we can't do another one for six. Years. You know, I'm making that up, but yeah. like I know that that happens. I know those conversations happen, or you know, we're gonna pass on this script because we already, you know. Uh, you know greenlit one gay movie I mean and I think things are but it's like no they're like just like there's infinite hetero uh and cis normative everything out there no one ever says oh we already have 17 million books you know we're gonna pass it's like yeah one more (laughs) so it's the same it's the same yeah and I can understand the insecurity of like oh no (laughs) like (laughs) what are you gonna do but um but yours came out first so you got, you got, <laughs> no, I was lucky in that instance, but, um, but yes, if, if anyone's listening to this and you like my book, you should definitely check out TJ's, uh, TJ Alexander chef's kiss. Um, I am, I am listening to this and I'm going to go do that. Um, <laughs> there's a, there was a, there was a specific part. There's a specific line that actually like cut straight to my heart. 
a lot of it did, but this particular one um, was when London was kind of reflecting some some of of their relationship with Zaya to I think it's Kathy, is it Kath? Kath. Um, and one of the things that they say is about Dahlia is she's never been with anyone like me before and like feeling insecure about, uh, about that. And it just, it's so resonant. Like, I feel that way all the time of like this idea of being like too, too much or too hard to like navigate, like a partner navigating being in a relationship with a gender queer person who uses they, them pronouns, but is on testosterone. So it's confusing for people because why aren't you a trans man? And, you know, like all like that, I think about all the time, like it's just, and so to, to have, to see, I think it's just another example of like, to see that reflected back to me um, was really meaningful. Yeah, I'm glad. But I know I think that that's real. And I, I know a lot of, um, you know, people within the trans community do prefer to date other trans people because it's, um, yeah, it's often easier. You know, you don't have to deal with that. Um, you know, they, they already get it. And mm-hmm. so um, not saying that that, you know, is the only way to date as a trans person, but for, but for London, yeah, it was the first time that they were dating anybody at all since um, coming out as non-binary. So yeah, it was a big deal. Yeah. And then there's also like the, the, um, there was another uh, section or part where London was like, am I an experiment? And that, that has also been in my world of like, I have been an experiment for people and that feels like shit. (laughs) Cause it's like, I'm actually literally human. I mean, there's, I think there are times and places for like being direct in communication about those things. And it's like, you know, you don't know until you try, but like, I think you have to be in conversation about that. And that's never been the case with me. And it's just been, it's not felt good. Yeah. And that was actually, um, interestingly, one of the edits, I can't remember um, who suggested it. Maybe it was Meryl or somebody else. Um, But in the original uh, manuscript that I wrote for this book, um, London or not London, but Dahlia was also kind of discovering her queerness um, in this book Um, and like being attracted to London was kind of like a surprise for her. Mm -hmm. And um, and the and basically the suggestion was like, this is kind of too much like for like it's kind of too much pressure almost to put on London but like yeah like Dahlia is now discovering all this stuff about herself and like it's actually can we just make Dahlia queer from the beginning and and I was like yeah actually that's a really good idea (laughs) and so then I just made her um queer from the beginning and uh yeah so it wasn't this whole like yeah put I don't know putting the pressure on London of her own discovery of herself and um but yeah, and so it made it more clear that London wasn't just, you know, an experiment for her. Yeah, it's um, and then and then I I, I brought it up in the beginning and I said we'll talk about that, which is like uh, you said, um, a straight person giving a lot of mixed signals, and I just I know so many people who um, grew up thinking themselves straight and then meet somebody and they're like, wait a minute. I'm not straight. <laughs> like, and so it's just, 
I don't know. I just, I wish, I wish for people mm-hmm. to, I don't know. I, I talk about this a lot too. This idea of like labels can be very empowering when you give them to yourself, but when someone puts them on you, that's when it becomes an issue. And I think people, some people um, hold so tight to an identity that it, they then miss out on what's in front of them or what could be because, mm-hmm. you know, because of whatever. And I don't know. I just, I feel, yeah. I feel like I want everyone to have the permission to uh, like, let go, not let go a little bit, I guess maybe let go a little bit and just like, yeah. you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, cause yeah, I, I say that about my own story because, because uh, so my, my wife, Kathy, yeah. So she's known that she was queer since like high school. Um, and in this period when we were like getting really close and I was still clueless. Um, like she told me later that she had kind of like talked things out with her other queer friend and was like, all these things are happening. And, but they say that they're straight. And mm-hmm. basically like after she, you know, said this whole thing, her friend was like, mm, I don't think that they're straight. <laughs> and so, but she was telling me that story and I was laughing, but then also like I was putting like all this kind of stress on her that I didn't even realize that mm. I was because um, I was so clueless. Um, but yeah, and, and, and it's funny too. I've in my work uh, at schools, I've met lots of um, yeah, teens who are very uh, sure that they are straight. Um, like, you know, sometimes they'll come to the, to the GSA meetings and be like, I'm your straight member. I'm your straight ally. And then um often those same kids I'll see later, like after graduation, they've gone to college or something and they'll be like, Hey, guess what? I wasn't straight. <laughs> like, mm, yeah, I, you know, that's not a total surprise to me, but I'm so happy for you. Um, yeah. Cause they get into these, yeah, you get into these boxes of who you think you are um, when really you could be anything. So. Yeah. I feel like I have a good, a good gate queered are a pretty good sense um and I think I think it's because I was so desperate for any kind of queer connection as a kid and that I like learned how to pick up on you know people's vibrations because you know some of it is external like how you dress how you but also a lot of it is just um I can't think of another way to say it but like vibration like Mm -hmm. who you are as a person you're like fabric Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of young people I work with that I kind of like just laugh inside my head sometimes as I'm getting to know them. And like, part of me feels like, you know, it's not fair for me to, uh, you know, prejudge, you know, their own mm-hmm. identities. Like that's not my place. Um, but part of me is just like, oh, I'm really excited for you to find out who you are. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I'm exactly. I'm really excited to see how you grow up. <laughs> Because the vibes are so strong from you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I never want to like put something on anybody or exactly, make judgments yeah. about them. But it's also like, I see you. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and I always want to like, yeah, somehow communicate that. Like, I see you, like you said. Um, but you can't say that until they see themselves. But Right. <laughs> I had, when I was in high school, I, I was diagnosed with OCD and anxiety and 
um, I went to this therapist and literally, and I was not out in high school. And the first thing she said to me was, so do you want to talk about how you're gay? And I said, sure don't. And I walked right out. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, how dare you? How Ooh. dare you tell me a truth about me that I'm not ready to talk about? Yeah, that's so rough. Oh. Yeah. So Oof. then that turned me off from therapy for a while too. Um, yeah, fair enough. I have one more, one more very important question. And then I'm going to move us into our, our lightning round of questions. You bring, you mentioned Jenny's ice cream and <laughs> I want to know how, like, cause I'm from, it's from, it was born in Columbus, Ohio, where I'm from. And so I have like oh, a, really? an affinity to it. And so I'm curious how you came to love Jenny so much that you put it in your book. <laughs> I didn't actually know that it was from Columbus, Ohio. That's mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, yeah, so uh, you know, so the book takes place in, in Southern California, and so uh, I grew up on the East Coast, and I always kind of idolized the idea, really, of California more even than the place itself. Um, but I've since spent time in Southern California, um, as have there's you know a branch of Jenny's in LA. Well, there's probably several branches at this point. Um, but I remember uh, I can't remember which neighborhood it was, but on one of my latest trips to LA, uh, you know, getting Jenny's and walking down the street and it was delicious and the sun was setting and it was wonderful. Um, and so it was like kind of a connection to LA for me. And then I was looking up different neighborhoods in Nashville where London might possibly live. Cause London is from Nashville in the book. Um, and I happened to see that there was a Jenny's, um, in this one neighborhood and I'm like, oh, so they could like, you know, have gotten Jenny's together in LA and now they can have it in Nashville too. And, um, so that was just kind of a fun connection, but I'm a big ice cream person in general. So I would mention any ice cream at all in all of my books, (laughs) (laughs) if I could, um, I would love to highlight a different chain next time, maybe, or company, but yes, ice cream is my life. <laughs> mm, I love that. And I love the like I don't know, like intentionality or the thoughtfulness around like them sharing Jenny's in LA and then having it in Nashville. I just think that that's very sweet. Um yeah, Jenny started out as like there's this place called the North Market and there were like vendor booths and they I'm pretty sure, maybe don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure that it started as just like a booth. And then it was growing so, so popular that it became its own brick and mortar. And then it like grew around Columbus and then expanded. Um, But yeah, I have, I have that affinity for them. Okay. So lightning round of questions. I don't want to do this because I love having this conversation with you, but I must. Um, So this lightning round is meant to be silly. You can pass if you don't want to answer. The questions in the first two seasons were very binary. I was told were very either or. And so these are now (laughs) open-ended. There's one, there's one binary in there that I couldn't get rid of and you'll see it at the end. Um, okay. okay. So if you could name your own crayon, what would you name it? Pass. I can't think of anything fun. I'm okay. sorry. No, that's okay. It's <laughs> fine. Favorite time of day. Early morning. Favorite current queer media representation. Uh, well, like the rest of the world, I just can't get enough of Heartstopper. Um, I've read the graphic novels and I didn't know how the show would be. And the show is just the pure, like, um, you know, translation of the books, just like good, pure, nice feelings. And I love it. I, I have not 
watched it yet, but I've heard from so uh, many people that I need to watch it. So I'm going to maybe uh, right, so right after this. Sweet. Like I, I could just feel like just my body curling up, like, like, cause it's, it's just so sweet. It's just so wonderful and sweet. Oh, <laughs> I love that. Um, a song that makes your heart sore. Um, a song that makes my heart sore. I feel like there are so many, um, let me look at what my, what I'm really listening to recently. Um, so this is going to sound kind of funny, but there is um, a recent Weezer song mm. called A Little Bit of Love. And it's just kind of like Heartstopper, a very sweet, pure song about um, a little bit of love goes a pretty long way. And mm. it's just very happy sounding and it makes me feel good. I love that. And also Weezer has new songs. Yes. <laughs> I did not know that, but that's very exciting. To I hear. know there's, they're still pumping out like jams. Who knew? But I heard this on the radio the other day and I was like, Weezer. And I love it. See, okay. made me laugh. That's amazing. I definitely am going to check that out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I know the answer to this, but ba- uh, favorite beverage. Tea. I, <laughs> I love <laughs> I love tea in all its incarnations. Yeah, I was like, it's in their bio. I think I know this, but just in case. Yeah. <laughs> uh, favorite quote. Favorite quote. I'm also going to pass on that. Too much pressure. Okay. All right. Bagels or donuts? Ooh. Bagels. If they're East Coast bagels, mm-hmm. like New York City bagels yep. over anything else. That is the literal exact correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> New York City bagels. <laughs> yeah, not, not that I don't love donuts. I'm actually writing a story right now that takes place in a donut shop. So mm. I love donuts, but you can't beat a bagel. Nope. <laughs> perfect answer. Um, Anita, thank you so much for for being here today and chatting with me for writing this book. Um, I can't wait to wait to read what, you know, this book you just mentioned and your other books that you have. Um, it's been, it's been so nice. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you for coming out. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for coming out.